I want to start a new series of messages with you called simply New Wineskins. And this morning, I want to share with you the reason that Jesus said, I bring new wineskins. This is not a very uh, great replica of a wineskin, but it will serve its purpose. The <clears throat> first century peoples would create a bag similar to this with the skin of animals. And they would fashion it and sew it similar to this, and then they would put their wine in bags like this, usually a lot larger than this, but similar to this. Over time, these bags with the fermented juice in it, these bags would get little holes worn in them. And so they would sew a patch on the old wine skin so as to fix it and make it continue to work. The problem was that the patch wouldn't hold. It was a very temporary thing. And so you would have these old wine skins with these patches on it and wine dripping out through the patches. And so it was well known in that day that if you had an old wine skin and you started patching it, you were soon going to have to get another. You were going to have to make another, a new wine skin because the old patches wouldn't hold. And so when Jesus comes on the scene in the first century, he tells these people, I bring new wineskins. Who I am takes a new wineskin to be made to hold who I am. You can't take the old pharisaical law and put a patch on it. That's not who Jesus was. He said, I am greater than the old wineskins. The old wineskins was that of the law and sin and judgment. But I bring a new wineskin, something different that the old wineskins couldn't hold. The biblical phrase new wineskin is found in three places in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew 9, 14 to 17, Mark 2, 18 to 22, and Luke 5, 33 to 39. Now, often when Jesus, who brings again a new wineskin, the old wineskin of the law, Pharisee, Pharisee, all that mindset, the religious uh, uh, view of the day, Jesus says, 
I bring something new. Well, let's find out just how new these new wineskins were to the people of that day and even to us. This whole concept, Jesus brings something more than the old, something different from the old. Jesus brings something that the old wineskins of religion could not hold. Often when Jesus was explaining something new to the people of that day, new wineskins, new information, grace, mercy, forgiveness, they didn't get it. And so as Jesus tried to explain who he was, he often used parables and stories to get the message across. And Jesus did it with the disciples of John the Baptist. Now hang with me. Look together with me, please, in Matthew 9, 14 to 17. We, we get the context when John's disciples came to Jesus and Jesus tried to help them understand who he was so they could take the message back to John. Matthew 9, 14 to 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, or Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? The disciples of John says, Jesus, this is the religious program of the day. Godly people are identified by these things that they do. The Pharisees do them. We as John's disciples do them. How come your disciples don't do them? You see... Oh, let me, let me finish. And Jesus called to them in verse 15. Can the friends of the bridegroom, speaking of himself, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and then they will fast. But no one puts a piece of unshrunk, unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch always pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Again, he's explaining why you can't use these old wineskins of the pharisaical religious system of the day. My grace, forgiveness, Mercy and love will not fit into this legalistic system. The patches will pull away. It will break it wide open. And so he says they don't put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. 
You put new wine in an old wine skin again. And the wine is spilled, and the wine skins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wine skins, and they're both preserved. So realize, when Jesus came, it was so different, not in terms of who God is or what he was accomplishing, but in terms of the religious system of the day. They had in mind what they thought was righteousness and holiness and that was living according to certain standards certain ways fasting tithing not doing all of the laws that man had written into the law of God the backstory with John the Baptist and his disciples is this. John was in prison. John had offended the ruler of the uh, Galilee of that time, and he had been put in prison for calling out the governor, the, the ruler, Herod Antipas. And Herod put him in prison. So John sits here in prison. And he's getting updates about Jesus. Now remember, this is after John had baptized Jesus. This is after John had heard the voice from heaven. Heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But as he sits in prison and he keeps getting these updates from his disciples, he gets concerned. Jesus isn't acting like the Messiah even John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, couldn't comprehend. John was getting worried. In fact, John was an Essene. He was part of the Essene sect of Judaism of that day. And Essenes were kind of like we think of monks. They, they lived in the desert they ate weird things. They didn't associate with people. And they abstained from certain drinks and foods and lived a life of poverty. And so this is who John is. This was the culture, that, this was the religious system that John was raised in. And his disciples would come back to the prison and update him that Jesus was eating with sinners, unheard of. That Jesus was going to parties, and he was eating and drinking of what they had to give. He nor his John nor his disciples ever participated in things like that. Jesus and his disciples. Uh, were not following the religious rules of the day. He was just not acting the proper religious leader, Jewish Messiah, that the forerunner even thought he should be. This confused John. John was upset. He's in prison. He's, he knows he's going to die, and he thinks... 
have I made the biggest mistake ever known to mankind? I, the forerunner of the Messiah, have I messed up? And so John sent his disciples. John the freaking Baptist, the forerunner, then sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him if he really is the Messiah. Or John said, tell me the truth. Do we need to look for someone else? John the Baptist, the hand of God upon him, powerful man, baptized Jesus, saw the dove, the Spirit of God floating like a dove to land upon him, heard the voice of the Father. John the Baptist witnessed this. He was the forerunner preparing the way for the Messiah, and now in prison, he is panicking. He's freaking out. And so he sends his disciples again to Jesus, and they said, John wants to know, are you really the one? Because you don't act like it. Are you really the one, or do we need to look for someone else? It is... It, 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 it blows the mind to even realize that John had those doubts and questions and concerns sitting in the prison. The God-ordained God forerunner making way the, the way plain for the Messiah to come. And in spite of all these things, John was confused about who Jesus was and about what he'd seen. So I share that with you to put into perspective. If John the Baptist, God-ordained forerunner, questioned the validity and the authenticity and the truth of Jesus because of the way he acted, because of the things he said, if John questioned and doubted and was confused, it's no wonder the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, were so appalled because Jesus didn't act like the religious leader they thought he should be. It was a new wineskin time. Their old wineskins couldn't contain him. This was a whole new understanding of the heart of God. To the religious people of the day, religion was purely external. They saw, they saw God as a policeman of sorts. They saw God as an authoritarian figure who said, live according to these rules. God to them was distant and unrelatable. They became legalists. 
spiritual pride developed in them. They began to, they began to uh, uh, just isolate themselves from other people. They began, and they would look down upon them because if I'm having to live according to these rules and you're not, and I have to, so you're outside, over there, apart, and I then judge you because you're not living like me. Jesus tells the parable in Luke 18, 9 through 14, about two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a despised tax collector. The tax collector is said that when he came to the temple to pray, that he stood at a distance. He didn't even lift his eyes to look up to heaven. And he beat his chest and he cried out, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus contrasted this tax collector with the Pharisee, the deadly dreaded Pharisee. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed like this, I thank you, God, that, I'm a not, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. <laughs> so we see very clearly in this contrast the difference between the religious people of the day and Jesus' concept of holiness. Jesus said that the Pharisee came and looked over at the Pharisee I mean, the tax collector, the Pharisee, was the frozen chosen. And the tax collector, in his mind, was the depraved unsaved. And so spiritual pride just began to eke through their system. And they felt superior to others who didn't live like them. This bear trap of spiritual pride clamped down on me one day not long ago. Pam and I were in Canyon and our daughters, and we took our granddaughters to the park. <clears throat> and when we pulled up to the park, it looked completely empty. I thought we would be the only ones at the park, so, you know, we were excited about that, glad about that. So we get out of our cars, and we're walking up to the, to the park, and I suddenly see under the pavilion of the park, there are a big pretty sizable group of 20 and 30 year olds and they're weird looking they a lot of them have on like costumes of some sort most of them look like their hair was cut with a dull knife they were odd looking weird looking they were not like me. And so as we made our way to the playground area, 
several of them came out from under the pavilion and went to the swings and started just kind of watching us. Well, I got nervous about that. I actually went back to the car to get my gun because I'm thinking, is this some kind of a weird setup? You know, with all these freaky-looking people, are they waiting on somebody to come, you know, and attack them? So I'm sitting there just, I mean, I considered them a threat. I considered them my enemy. And I was nervous about it all. Well, I went around to talk to Pam about it. And Pam said that there were these type of kids in the school district, in the high school of the school district where she teaches. She said they're called, she told me they were called cosplay. Well, you know, I'd never heard of that and certainly never seen anything quite like that. And uh, <clears throat> she said that most of them are, she said they're just good kids mostly, but they just like, that's their world. They like to get into this fantasy role and, and play out, you know, these roles and, and uh, but that they weren't a threat, dangerous type people. And so I went over there and started talking to them. And they were enjoyable. They were engaging. If I had had the time, I would have loved to have sat down and to talk to them about their worldview, about their belief systems, how they came to believe what they believe, and talk to them about the mercy and grace of God. I didn't have the time to do that. I, I would do that in a second today. But again, the, my point, Jesus uses new wineskins because the old wineskins of pharisaical judgment, pharisaical legalism, of I don't like you because you don't like me, is still in our hearts. And the legalism bug bit me hard on that day until I realized what I was doing. Jesus spotlighted the Pharisee in Luke 18 as being one who had great confidence in his own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He says the same thing about us when we do that. When we look at other people different than us. When we work with someone who is been pushed to the outside. When we see people and engage with people in our, in our, in our uh, neighborhoods or again at school or workplace or just in the everyday, when we engage them and we have that legalistic, you're not like me, 
spiritual pride about it. We're operating out of the old wineskin. And we are acting just like a Pharisee. It's in your heart. It's in mine. But Jesus brought something different. That's not the religion of Jesus. Quickly this morning, I want to identify two things that Jesus introduced that showcased the need for new wineskins. I've listed it this way. Internal versus external. And the second point, inclusive versus exclusive. But first, internal versus external. When Jesus began to speak to the people and they began to comprehend what he was saying, it blew their minds. Early in Jesus' ministry, as people gathered around him, one day he climbed upon a mountainside and he began to teach. He said these things, blessed, happy, contented are the poor in spirit. This is a pronouncement. This is Jesus giving truth and giving commands. He is saying, if you will be poor in spirit, you will be blessed. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful. Because they will obtain mercy from God. Blessed are those who make peace. They shall be called the sons of God. Blessed even are you when you're persecuted for righteousness righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5 3 through 10. But then Jesus, upon this mountainside, continued to speak. And his monologue goes through chapters 6, starts 5, 6, and 7, and then listen to Matthew 7, 28 through 29. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. The word astonished means to be utterly overwhelmed. It means to be in an absolute shock and amazement. It is to react to something that happens in wonder, in disbelief, and the people were were overwhelmed in astonishment at what Jesus was saying to them. 
who he was and what he said. Again, they were only in thinking in terms of external conformity. That God says, you've got to do this if you mess up one time. You've got to do this. They were into rituals and ceremonies. They had certain and specific behaviors that, that for them was righteous and holy. But Jesus broke that mold. That mold calls to us. That mold of external conformity. Okay, if I do this, 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 God says, I'm good. And so he, but if I do this, 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 God says, I'm bad. And so I feel bad. And Jesus splashes into this party and said, it's not like that at all. Mankind has made God look like that, but that's not who he is. They were missing the point that godliness involves the heart. It's your heart that's got to change. Not your behavior, not your conformity, not living according to statutes and laws. It's a transformation from the inside out. Religion is from the outside in. Jesus said, no, it's the opposite. Come to me with your heart, and I'll make all the changes in you necessary. It's not a code anymore. This is most plainly seen in Matthew 23. Let me share a couple of verses with you. Hold on to your hats if you're a Pharisee. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? What sorrow awaits you, you hypocrites? You are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the outside of the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. So sit over there on your stool of the high command. Sit over there in your spiritual pride, looking down on everybody else, because they don't do the same things that you do. They don't come to church as often as you do. They don't, they don't read their Bible as much as you do. They're not the prayer warriors you are. Go ahead. Keep looking down on them. Your lot will be sorrow. The old wineskin leads to sorrow. You blind Pharisee, 25 through 28, you blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then look at the outs. And then, I'm sorry, and then the outside will become clean too. Inside, out. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisee hypocrites. You're like white washed tombs. 
You're dead inside. Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones. And all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So, come down from your perch. He goes on further to say in Matthew 23, 33, he calls them snakes, a brood of vipers. And then he asks them this question, how are you, Mr. Legalist? How are you, Mr. Pharisee, going to escape the judgment of hell? It's kind of fun to be puffed up and think of yourself as better than others. Makes you feel superior. It's an error that we can carry. And Jesus said, you are full of dead men's bones. Religious activities, spiritual ceremonies, church customs, they're all worthless. They all are meaningless. It is a waste of time if your heart is closed and your worship is hollow. This is a secret that David, the king of Israel, learned a long time ago. But the Jewish leaders had forgotten. David said in Psalm 51, 16 and 17, God, you do not desire sacrifice or I'd bring it. You do not want a burnt offering. You don't want religious systems. Instead, he said, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So legalist, bend your knee. The legalist in you and me, bend your knee. God wants a repentant heart to realize who do we think we are when we look out at this world. Sure, they're different. Sure, they make mistakes. Sure, the world is going in a different direction than we are. But our point, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And if we sit here with, with our spiritual arrogance and our pharisaical hats on, sitting on a tuft above everybody else, feeling superior, especially to those out in the world, we will distance ourselves from them. Just like they did. We will sit in condemnation when Jesus says, Oh, 
You're not to condemn them. You are to share the salvation message with them. We, we are to be incorporated into this world, keep, still keeping our kingdom soul with us. We're not better. We're different. And only different because of the love, grace, and mercy of God. That he chose me. He called me. He draws me. And he's drawing others just like he drew me. He's drawing others around you. He's drawing them. He's calling them. But how will they know unless you minister to them? I'm going to skip some and close with this. What I do is my wine skin. There it is. Let me close with this. The new wineskin that Jesus brought in that blew the minds of everybody in the day. The new wineskin of Jesus means this. God really loves you more than you know right now. He really does. He, his compassion for you supersedes whatever wineskin you're carrying. If this wineskin represented your life and what was in it represented all that you know about God, I'm telling you, your wineskin is too old. It's not the new one. Because in the new one, you're loved more than you have ever been able to get your mind around. The grace of God is so much bigger than we think, yet we, yet we wiggle around in condemnation and guilt and we slither on the floor because we feel so bad that... And God is saying, man, no, have I forgiven you but I've taken your sins and I've cast them where I can't even find them. The intensity of his gaze upon you is packed with more mercy, more goodness, more forgiveness, more encouragement, more hope than you can imagine. It will explode your old wineskin. No matter what may have happened in our lives, no matter how we may feel or even be feeling right now, no matter what we think, no matter how heavy our burdens, no matter the horrors of fears, God loves us. More than we can comprehend, even 
in the darkest shadows. And he's watching us and following us, a smile upon his face because we are his children. And we wrestle with things in this life because we're still referring back to the old wineskin of who we believed him to be. We need new wineskins. We need to soak in his love and grace and mercy. Let his forgiveness fill your heart. Grab this new wineskin of Jesus and let it transform you, overwhelm you, and transform you.